Welcome to this teaching from Calvary Chapel Divine, Texas. Calvary Chapel Divine is just a casual church for everyone. We meet in a common place and we just simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. One of the things that we do emphasize is the sun, salt, and light. We want you to know and grow in the sun, Jesus, but be the salt and the light in this world. If you'd like to get more information on the church, we meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. You can either come in person or watch online, but you can also submit a prayer request. Or if you have any questions about the church at all, you can just go to our website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. Calvary Chapel Distinctives is what we're in. We're actually on chapter one. We're just getting started. So during the summer, what we decided to do is we're taking a break from uh, going through verse by verse through uh, the Old Testament. When we get done with this, we'll probably be done with this right after Labor Day, and then we'll start doing the Minor Prophets. Uh, we'll just go through them one at a time and, and uh, really hopefully enjoy that. Uh, so if you need the book, the book is online. Uh, it's it's uh, right there on the very calvarydivine.org at the very front of the thing. It's You just click Calvary Chapel Distinctives. It's a free PDF. So you can you can pull it on your tablet, your your PC, or, or your phone. And uh, I think I got one more copy of the book there, too, so somebody needs that. And I got, I got a couple more coming in, too. And so y'all can take that one. And uh, we got more that are coming in as well. Uh, and so we're in chapter one. This, this past Sunday, we kind of shared this verse in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so when Jesus said this, actually what he was talking about is, is the, the building of the church and the, the Greek word for the, the word uh, uh, rock is actually petra and it means uh, knitted together. It's large slabs that are knitted together. And you know we know that, that Jesus is the, the, the chief cornerstone, is the, the main cornerstone of the, uh, of the rock and on top of that we're built upon that. And so um, one of the things that Chuck goes into at first is because He's going to deal with us being an Acts 242 church, and, and I'll go into that, uh, but I want to kind of deal with something that he had talked about in the book of Revelations when he talks about the seven churches. So a lot of the reading that's going to be done, that's going to be on you to read, but what I'm going to try to do is, is the way that I've always done Calvary Chapel Distinctives is I try to pull the scripture from it, and then we we go from there and and try to go from what god's model for the church is and so you have to remember that when we look at the book of revelation there was only six decades that went and he had to correct the churches remember in nehemiah there was only what 10 to 12 years and they had already gone back to to backsliding and so for us the thing that we can learn from the churches is, is very important there there were flaws that had started creeping into the church and, and what I mean by that, there were false doctrines. Uh, there were practices uh, that, that were Gnosticism or Arianism that had started creeping in, and, and it started causing problems with the believers. And so what people had begun to believe had started being skewed by the people that had started infiltrating the church. And so it's important for us to look at it. So the first one is is in Ephesus it, in Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 
this is the one that we all know because it's it's that question have you forsaken your first love and it says that to the angel in the church of ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands i know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and and found them to be false i know you're enduring patiently and bearing up from my namesake and you have not grown weary and here's what he has against them in verse 4 but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first now uh, if we read that verse one of the things that that starts happening to them is is as we go further in they're going to be uh, some people that come into the church that start causing problems. And, and they take their mind off of the things that were supposed to be first, which is Jesus. And, and that happens very easily. It says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, uh, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So he's telling them, go back to when you first started becoming a believer. That's, that's the, the, the whole purpose of the church is for us to, to grow it's not to grow by numbers and chuck talks about that don't expect you know and this comes back to what we talked about this past week you're not going to have a, a tree that bears fruit the next day it's going to take time for the church to grow and so we cannot be focused on the number of seats we have and how many people are in the seats i don't care about that what i care about and what my job is to do is to teach the word of god every week and then that's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. And that's what we have to remember because it can get defeating at times. But it, we have to remember what, what we did when we first came to Christ. We, we were hungry for our relationship with the Lord. We spent time in God's Word. We spent time in prayer. We wanted to be in fellowship. You know. But what happens is we, we start to fall away. We start to get busy with our schedules. We start to allow... Things to creep into our life that should have no place in our life. When we first came to know Christ, we would have said, I'm not, I can't have anything to do with that. But as you've been walking with the Lord, you go, I, I, I guess I can go do that. And that's what happens. It says this in verse 5. Remember that therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand for its place unless you repent. Yes, this you have. You hate the works of the and it's Nikolai, Nikolai test, and and which I also hate. And I know most of us call it the Nicol, Nicolaitans or whatever, but the actual strongest concordant is Nikolaites, is how it's actually pronounced. And and what they did, he says, which I also hate. I hate, and and they were they were allowing. People in this culture that came into the church and they would tell them, you can marry this person, you can live here, you, you have to follow this spiritual leader. And sadly, what had happened is they were, they were apostates. They were, they were pulling people from the Lord because they had a doctrine of ba Balaam. And we're going to see two of the churches out of the seven that deal with these people. They infiltrated the church. I think we had somebody from the Lutheran Church teaching that the, uh, the Great Commission is racist. 
So, yes, do we have false prophets? Do we have people teaching things that shouldn't be taught? Yes, it's happening. They were having them commit food sacrifices to idols, and, and they were committing sexual morality within the church. And so, you know, some people believe, and, and this is, we don't, you know, we, we based on commentary, uh, when we look at the, the men that were chosen, the deacons, Nicholas of Prostolate of Antioch, they believe that it, it, it came from him being an apostate, that he fell away. That deacon fell away. But he says in verse 7, and this goes back to what we said this past week, He who has ears, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You need to listen. Remember, we, we were in chapter 4 of book Mark, and, and it tells you to listen over and over and over. That's what he said this past week, pay attention. So they had lost their first love. You have the church in Smyrna, and they, they, were, they were the church that was under uh, suffering persecution. You know, in, in verse 10 it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to, be, uh, about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now, that sounds like fun, Right? That's, that's what was happening with the church. Uh, the, the church in Smyrna, they had, uh, they had no words of accusation. The congregation was doing what they were called to do. They may not have had human approval, but they certainly received God's praise. They stuck to what they knew. And, and yet, even with that, they were going to deal with increased suffering. And we're going to talk about that this week as we get into Jesus and the storm, as they head into the storm. And, and so to think that you're not going to go through some type of trial or suffering or, or anything, you need to just understand that that's life. It's life. It shouldn't surprise us, you know, that, that we're seeing the things that are happening in the world today. We have, we're, we've become a country that is slowly over the last decade that has fallen further away from God. And, and it's up to us to stand up and, and, and we need to be that voice. We need to be the voice that's, that's willing to, to, to tell people about Christ. You have the church in Pergamum. They, they were the church that needed to repent. It says in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, And the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words, of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold, my, uh, you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some, of their, some there who had, te had teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, these are two false gods, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. And it's the same thing, the Nicolaites uh, that, that did this. And, and they were, it tells you in the scripture that they had put stumbling blocks in front of the sons of Israel so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual morality. So also you have uh, some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And so therefore, if not, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon 
and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's like, look, I'm going to, I'll come deal with it. He's not going to allow it to happen because whose church is it? It's his church. We had Thyatira, they had the false prophetess. In verse 20 uh, of, of chapter 2, it says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent for her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery... With her I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds, searches mind and heart, and I will give to you each uh, you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching. So there were some in the church that didn't hold to it. And they were trying to, to stand against it. But it, it, I love what it says here who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To say, I do not lay on, on you another, any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come, the one who conquers and keeps my work until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And the church in Thyatira, they were dealing with uh, a false prophetess that was, that was pulling people into sin. They were tolerating evil. The church started tolerating evil. And, and so one of the things that Chuck talks about is that the church, it, you know, it, it is, um, you know, these churches, it only took 60 years for all this stuff to start happening. Didn't take long. Then you have the, the church in Sardis, the church that had fallen asleep. And it, it says there in, in, in chapter 3 of Revelation, I know your works, you have reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And so this church, you know, is, is a church that's asleep. They've fallen asleep. They're not practicing the things they're supposed to be doing, going out and sharing the gospel, doing the Great Commission, uh, you know, doing the, the things that we're called to do as, as Christians, as, as followers of Christ. They, they just fell asleep. And sadly, you know, it, it's it just people playing church. They show up, but they're asleep. And, and I love what he says. He says, wake up. Wake up. In Philadelphia, the church, the number six church, was actually the church that had endured patiently. And I love what it says in, in chapter 3, verse 10 in Revelation. It says, but you have kept my word about patient endurance, and I will keep from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. He's like, unbelief, it, it, it sees the obstacle, but faith sees the opportunity. And the Lord holds the keys. One of the things that I, I know happens with a lot of people is fear hits them, and they freeze. 
We walk by faith, not by sight. And, and I know a lot of times we're, we can allow the things that are happening in the world to, to cause us to fear. And, and we can't do that. <laughs> we can't. I'm going to talk about that more this weekend um, as we get into the book of Mark chapter 4. And we deal with the storm because Jesus is like, why are y'all fearful? You know, what's going on? And, and honestly, it's funny because they go from the fear of the storm to the fear of who is this guy in the boat that can stop. The, you know, it's like two different fears that are happening. But what's sad is like we cannot allow that fear to stop us as a church. You know, we, we have the night of worship. I, you know, we still have a lot of stuff that still needs to get done. But it'll get done. And, and then, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, well, is COVID going to allow this to happen? Is somebody gonna, from the city going to say, no, we can't do this? Why are we having a gathering? I, I'm waiting for all that to start to come. So we need to be praying for that. It's outside, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, people tend to get a little shaky because they sure enough put everybody who works for the city back, back in mask again for the city of Divine. That came out in the city council meeting. So anybody who's a city employee has got to go back in mask, which I was like, man. But last you have the church in Laodicea, which is the lukewarm church. Now, that's probably one of the most popular verses everybody knows besides you've lost your first love, right? But the, the lukewarm church is, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And that's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. It, it's just sad because it only took 60 years for this to happen. Jesus has been removed in 60 years, and this is already where they're at. And Laodicea was known as a church that just kind of stuck in the middle of the road. Didn't want to upset nobody, right? They weren't hot, but they weren't cold. And that's what they were known for. And, and so uh, God is saying, look, because you're neither hot nor cold, is, that verse that he says spit you out, is he's going to throw you up. Nauseated, throw you up out of, my, out of my mouth. There was nothing that he found to commend them with. Because, you know, it's just it's the thing of just coming to church and not doing anything. It's, it's not expecting to hear from God. It's not expecting to, to enjoy worship. You're just, you're just here to be here. You know, and, and you just come in just as lukewarm as you were when you came out, right? And that's, that's how that goes. So the, the church, when we look at church history, we find that the model of the church if we look at it through mankind, we're, we're imperfect. And with that being said, we, you know, we look to a divine, a divine ideal for the church by looking at church history. So we are a, an Acts 242 church, which means that we are led by, and this is how Chuck uh, puts it, he goes, the, uh, the divine ideal for the church is in the book of Acts. The church was... Uh, was dynamic. It was a church led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was a church that brought the gospel to the world. That's what we're supposed to do. 
I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit, bringing the gospel to the world. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 and 6, it says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood it, the grace of, the God, uh, grace of God and truth. And so he's saying, look, y'all shared the gospel and it, it was bearing fruit all over the world. And, and, and people were being led and being saved by Jesus Christ, by the gospel of Christ. The model of the church is for us to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the, the early church. They were led by the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread, bread and the prayers. And so one of the things that we have to understand is like when we see that they devoted themselves, they, 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 actually, they actually spent time steadfastly and, and their mind in constant readiness and constantly ready to do the work of the Lord. They were devoted. That was the early church. That was the early church. And, and honestly, what Chuck has given us here, this is the pillar, the four foundational pillars for the church is that we are to be about the apostles teaching the word of God. That's, that's number one, right? Uh, fellowship, which is koinia, which is not what you think it is. Because a lot of people think fellowship is potlucks and church events. And um, I'm trying to think. We, we had a, they got a softball team at my other church now. And so those are fun things. But those are not koinia. Koinia is where you actually are admonishing each other with the word. You're spending time. You're you're actually you're actually building each other up, you know, through fellowship, and that's what koinia is. But it's it's that having having that mindset of being devoted, and 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 honestly, in Philippians chapter two verse two, it says, "Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind." They gave themselves totally over to doing the things that God had put on their heart to do. You know, if that, that's being devoted to, uh, to go share the gospel with somebody, that's what you're going to do. If God puts it on your heart, the Holy Spirit, to do it. Look, I, right now we're in the middle of trying to, praying for a, a tour to happen that started off by two, two guys just talking in a conversation, and we're praying that that Texas tour kicks off. And then there's going to be something else that happens over here. And that's going to be fun. If it happens, I'm praying. But it's going to, it's, we're asking the Holy Spirit to open doors and, and, and create a path for that to happen. I mean, the, the thing, same thing with the, the night of worship. It's, it's a lot of prayer. It's been a lot of prayer to, to, um, to get to the point that we're at now. We're, we're getting ready to get the commercials to go out on the radio. And so, um, and that's in the midst of Jarrell having his wife having, not him, his wife having the baby and all uh, just last week. And so, um, but, you know, it's, those are the obstacles. But if we fear 
you know, what's going to happen? Is any, and, and that's always the thing. Is anybody going to show up? I don't, I don't care. I always say, and, and, and I always say that if one person comes to know Christ, it was worth every bit of sweat and equity that you put into it. That's what it's about. If one person turns from their sin and comes back to God, then it's worth it. That's what it's supposed to be about. It's like, it's, it's crazy because I've said this before, and, and you, know, how many, you know how many people died when they made this, the statue uh, after they come out of the, the, you know, Moses goes up and they make the statue? 3,000 people died. How many people come to know Christ or in Pentecost? 3,000. Same amount. Same amount. But they, those 3,000 were devoted to God. They were devoted, completely devoted. They had the same mind, the same love, being in full of, the, uh, uh, of, uh, full of accord and one-minded to do the work of Christ. And they, they devoted themselves, and this is something that Chuck talks about, is like we devote ourselves as pastors to the Word of God. That's what my job is. That's what I get to do. It's, it's like, yeah, I have all these other little things, but the fun thing that I enjoy the most is spending time in God's Word. That's, that's the key to Calvary Chapel. It's always been a verse-by-verse, verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching that, that we've established since the 60s. And, and so a couple things about being in the Word of God. Why do we always tell you? Because that's the thing that guides your life. That's, that's the thing that, that you know, it, if you ask somebody the question, why do I believe or read and apply the Bible in my life, they should be able to answer that question as a Christian. You should be able to tell somebody, you know what, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by an eyewitness during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report to us the supernatural events that took place uh, fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that the writings divine rather than human in origin is God breathed. It's inerrant. It's without error. It's 66 books written over a period of about approximately 1550 years by 40 different authors, human authors with different backgrounds and, and three different languages. And it all focuses on Jesus the Messiah. All of it. And so I can believe in it. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Y'all know the other verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It judges the attitudes of the heart. See, when you have the word of God stored up in your heart, when temptation comes, you stop it here. And you don't allow it to take root in your heart. That's the whole purpose of being in God's Word. You know, part of us being in God's Word is that we just don't read it, but we, we learn it, right? You, you actually spend time learning it. 
The Word of God, we talked about the power that the Word of God has this past week. The power of the Word of God. That it transforms lives. It's God's Word that has power. That's why it says, you know, that, that my, my Word will not return void. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, But he, his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons, in season and, left, uh, and its leaf do, does not wither. And all that it does, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, we learn it. Part of what we do is we learn the, the Word of God. We, we, we have to spend time in God's Word. We, we just saw that in Nehemiah, the importance of God's Word. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest, the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month and reading from its facing square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and understand and, and women, those who could understand. And so the importance of that is like, it's not just so you... You read it, but you understand it. You learn it. And you have the Holy Spirit that will help you do that. Right? You have the Holy Spirit to help you do that. The other thing that you have to do, you got to live it. You learn it, you live it. You act on the Word. You actually live out what God's Word is telling you to do. You apply it practically in your life. That's what Joshua does in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, this, uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Which means to what? Learn it. You meditate on it. Saw a picture of one of the youth today. They went in their room to go. They went to the retreat. I know the kids, and so it was a funny picture. And the dad goes, my son went in, and he's been in the Word of God for 30 minutes. And then they go in, and the kid's sleeping on <laughs> He probably started in it, but he just crashed out. But the, the desire was there. And so that's why I love that he said, you shall meditate on it day and night. You learn it. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You live it. You learn it, you live it. That's all from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. There's a promise attached to it. You, you want to have success? You want to be blessed? Be in God's Word. Meditate on it. Do what it says to do. The other thing was, is they were devoted to fellowship. And, and, and teaching and the fellowship. And so... For fellowship, again, like I said, it's koinia. It's, it's a community to share what, uh, which one has anything. They were all sharing everything together. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 43, it says, and, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were, they were like-minded Doing the work of the Lord. They were getting up and spending time in God's Word. 
It says in verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceedings to all as to any that has need. So they were trying to help those that didn't have. Because what was happening? People were getting kicked out of their, their families because they choose to follow Jesus. Well, you're a follower of Jesus, they were being fired from work. You're a follower of Jesus, you can't stay in this house anymore. You can't be a part of this family anymore. They had nowhere to go. And so they came together and started helping each other out. That's what koinia is. It's, it's meaning one another. One another. We're together, one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 15, 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right? You, you open your house up. You, 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 you spend time together. You're, you're there for them as they're not standing alone when they're sick. Right? If their family's in trouble, you're there. If they need prayer, you'll stop what you're doing and pray with them. Even if it's over the phone. It's, it's that type of suffering, but it's joy that comes with it because you're doing it with one another. And guess what? As you're going through a storm, they may be coming out of one. As they're coming out of one, you may be going back into one. And God's going to use all that. And, and so we have to be together in fellowship, Koinia. So remember, it's not, just, it's not just potlucks. Those things are great. But it's actually, we spend time talking about Christ. We spend time talking about the Word. We spend time praying for one another. You know, finding out the needs of each other for family. So like we know, hey, our family needed prayer. We let everybody, we need prayer. This is what's going on. You know, and we pray for y'all. And, and so it's a very important. It's that fragrance that we should have. It's that uh, sweet fragrance in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the church should eagerly attend and, and share the gospel but at the same time, we should be in faith together, evangelizing together. I, I love doing movie nights and stuff like that and going out to restaurants, but also at the same time, I want to know how you're doing. I don't need you to... How, what's the way that I can say this? Because I've, I've, <laughs> I've had to deal with this before early in, in my Christianity. It's like when people tell you everything's great and you know that it's not. You know, I, I, it's not that I want to be in your business. I need to know how to pray for you. And sometimes talking to somebody is, is some of the greatest medicine ever. Because the Holy Spirit, the koinia, the Holy Spirit's in that. You're coming together. And that's what's very important. Next, they were devoted to breaking of bread. Now, this can be communion. It can be referred to as communion when we break bread together. But it also can be breaking bread together, you know. Uh, it, it's, it's having maybe the Lord's Supper, but also at the same time spending time 
outside of church breaking bread together. It's important. And, and you know, at the same time, I love what it says in Acts 2, 4, 6. It says, And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They, they spent time together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. <laughs> How many of us do that? Right? What did you make tonight for dinner? Oh, man. That again? The kids are like, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I've done it before. My kids go, come on, Dad. I thought you were going to make such and such. And it's like, but we, we should receive it with generous hearts and gladness. But we should be breaking bread. And the last one, which is so important, is, is prayer. If we're going to be a church, and this is something that I, we definitely need to start working on, is we need to be devoted to prayer. We need, we need to actually, uh, this is one of the disciplines that we need to have. We just went through the book of Nehemiah, which was all about prayer. Right? I, I love Nehemiah. He prayed. But I, I want to read this quote to you from Leonard Ravenhill. It says, Revival tarries because there is a lack of urgency in, uh, in prayer in the church. He went on and, and said, Hell has nothing to fear but a God-anointing prayer-powered church. And based on that, hell is simply not afraid of the church in America right now. Man. That's, that's a hard one, right? Honestly, I mean, at the end of the day, do we have stuff that we can pray for? You can look at our nation. There's many things that you can pray for. You can spend hours on that daily. One of the things I've learned, even in a big church, is the most, the the, the one, one of the least attended ministries, monthly prayer. Monthly prayer. It'd be sometimes just me and the senior pastor. And so, did we did we go home? No, we still prayed. But that's probably one of the most uh, the, one of the, one of the most least attended uh, ministries is, is prayer. And at some point, I, this is something I was telling Teresa. At some point during the fall, we need to start making time, whether it's a Wednesday night or not. We need to we need to have maybe a Wednesday night once a month to do a little bit of worship and prayer, a little bit of worship and prayer. And and that's something that I think we we got to get to doing. And so probably September we'll do that and. We'll do a couple songs and somebody will come up and pray. And do a couple songs, somebody will come up and pray. And, you know, that's how we'll do it. Because at the end of the day, it's like we got to start becoming a church that prays. Nehemiah, that was what Nehemiah did. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. Remember how he prayed for months. For months. And, and he just wanted God to, to, to send him to, to go fix the wall. And so as a church, that's one of the things that we have to, you know, we have to get busy starting to do. And I, and I think that's one of the areas where, you know, if you want to strengthen your relationship with Christ, we talked about this. The Word of God and prayer are two fundamentals that you can't. You, you start pushing those away, you're going to have a tough time. You're, you're going to have a tough road. You need time in prayer. You need time in the Word. 
And just remember, relationship requires time. And so we talked about this this past week. So an intimate relationship, like the relationship I have with my wife is 35 years. We're not on, dry, on cruise control. That's not how it works. I still have to work on my relationship with her. I want her to, you know, I, I want that love, that agape love, where, where I do things for her without expecting anything in return. Right? Same thing with our relationship with Christ. It's going to take time. You're going to have to sacrifice something. And there are going to be many obstacles in your way to keep you from having that intimacy with God and, and prayer and the Word. And before you know it, you're, you're struggling. There was this wonderful, in one of my classes, and, and we'll close it out here, in one of my classes in uh, Liberty University, uh, our, our teacher had us read this, this uh, story uh, by Robert Boyd Munger. And it, the story is, my heart, Christ home. My heart, Christ home. And it's describing the Christian life as he paints the picture as Jesus enters our life as a new believer. And it, and it says this, he goes, As I came to know Christ, Jesus entered my life and entered my heart, and he arrived, a newly arrived guest, going from room to room, in, our, in my home, which is the heart. And he said, in the library represents our minds. There Jesus found all sorts of worthless reading material and entertainment, which he proceeded to throw out and to replace with his word. In the dining room, which speaks of the bodily appetites, he finds many sinful desires listed on the worldly menu. He found things like power and position, materialism and lust, and he took those and threw those out, and he put in humility and meekness and love and all the other virtues which believers are to hunger and thirst with. The quietest room in the house was the living room, where Jesus had invited me to spend time with him every day. Over time, after a while, the Christian, I allowed myself time with Christ and and what I ended up finding out is that time started getting crowded out and my simple fellowship started falling away. And next thing I know, it was virtually absent from my life. I could blame the pressures and the responsibilities of life, but little by little, this time had begun to become shorter and shorter. Somehow I assumed I was just too busy for Christ. This was not a deliberate decision. It just happened. I just didn't have time for Jesus. Eventually I began to miss days. Days became weeks. Weeks became months. But every now and then when my marriage was in crisis or my family was in crisis or there was an illness or stress at work, I would call on him with urgency. The storms would calm down, and not before long I would become lukewarm all over again. And I would miss days, then I would miss weeks, then I would miss months. One day I recall rushing down the steps and I passed in the living room. The door was wide open, hearing the scripture on the radio of Revelation 2 verse 4. 
But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I realized that I had lost my first love. I went down the stairs and Jesus was sitting there in the living room where I was was supposed to meet him every day. And suddenly it came to me. He was not a resident in my heart. He was just a guest. I had invited him into my heart but treated him like a guest. He has come as a savior to live with me, yet here I am neglecting him. I said, Jesus, I'm sorry. Have you been here every morning? And Jesus answered, yes, I told you I would be here to meet with you every morning. He had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked him to forgive me, and he did. He always does when we acknowledge our failures and we want to do the right thing. And Jesus said, the trouble is that you've been thinking of the quiet time time with me in in prayer and in studying the Bible as a means for your own spiritual growth. That's true. But you've forgotten that this hour means something to me also. Remember, I love you. And at great cost, I have redeemed you. I value your fellowship, and I love spending time with my sons and daughters. See, sometimes what happens is we allow the business of the world to affect the relationship that we're supposed to have with Christ. The thing is, is like what Pastor Chuck is trying to teach us in this chapter is that the church has to be focused on those four things. The Word of God, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, every ministry as, you know, if the church grows, will have that foundation everyone and that's what's important and so if you have neglected or you feel like you've you've lost that time with the lord guess what he loves you and he wants to spend time with you and so let's go ahead and close out in prayer and all the joy of of little feet man praise god let's let's pray father god we thank you so much i got quiet is what happened (laughs) thank you so much for for laughter thank you so much for allowing us to be here thank you so much for uh, for everyone being back this week, we, we thank you, Father God. I do lift up Court and Donna to you and just pray for their situation. We pray for Gary and his wife as well. Just pray for healing. Uh, we pray just for, for lungs to clear and, and uh, everyone to, to kind of get back to the, the new normal, so to say. Uh, we do pray for this city. We pray for this county. We pray, Lord, that you would be with our leaders. We pray for our nation, Lord. We ask that you just continue to draw men of god and women of god to speak up at the white house to speak up at at congress and at the senate lord we know that there's evil we know that we can see it we see it all around and so we pray as believers that we would share the gospel don't allow don't allow us to to allow false prophets in the church to allow progressive christianity in the church but that we stick to the basic fundamentals of the word of god and and prayer and fellowship and the breaking of the bread and we thank you and we ask all these things in jesus name amen god bless y'all y'all have a good evening and uh, we'll be in chapter two next week
Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.